Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Welcome to a new episode of Canadian Investing in the U.S. This week, my repeat guest is Laura Cohen. Laura and I were doing a conference, uh, was it supposed to be that two weeks ago? Anyway, I'm not sure you got timelines, but uh, we recently- Time flies. Yeah. <laughs> Well, anyway, a few weeks ago, she was present, planning to present at the uh, at the conference, and we had scheduling conflicts. So I wanted to still get the, you know, I wanted to get that information to you guys. Lauren was going to come; uh, she was going to speak about some securities law. So I think there's, um, honestly, there's a lot to learn from this because there's a lot of people doing this stuff wrong. There's a lot of violations that I see all over the internet, um, and it's never an issue until someone reports it. It's usually not. Uh, right. The, like SEC or someone loses their money yeah yeah that's and usually why they off and they're like oh now we're gonna do something yeah someone something some deal doesn't go correct and then they mm -hmm. they bring this up and then they go down this rabbit hole and they make like the operator basically going through a securities audit i've never done it but i've talked to two people who have done it and it is a miserable experience so i think it'd be much better yeah. if everybody just did this the right way to start with and not have to deal with with that kind of situation so laura cohen is back again even before we jump on this um maybe we'll do an intro to lauren um you know, I know everyone knows you for the the E2 visa services and some of the other business stuff. So maybe we'll do, do a little bit of an intro of that and then we'll talk about the security stuff. Okay, sure. So um, first of all, it is Lauren. I don't know if Glenn loves calling me Laura, but it's okay because my no, name I, is I, Lauren. Lauren. Uh, maybe maybe just cut off my tongue. Always call me Laura. <laughs> it's just the thing that happens. So it's no problem. <laughs> I, Glenn still loves me and, you know, it's mutual. So um so yes, I am Lauren Cohen. I'm originally from Toronto. I am here in South Florida. I just posted a picture of me a few years ago when I was in Toronto on this day and it was snowing. And I just closed on my new house that I'm moving into toward the end of the month. And it will never be snowing outside of my window here. I can promise you that. Okay, so I'm um, sure that Glenn has some snow probably outside of his house, right? Not yet. Already? Not yet. yet. Not, Not yet. yet, okay. Sprinkle in the air like a yesterday or the day before. But it never, it never really, it was more wet. wet rain. transpired. Yeah. Well, I guess rain's yeah. always wet, but <laughs> it, it's, it's rain coming. Okay, it's cold. It's, it's cold enough to get snow. I haven't got it. <laughs> yeah. I remember several years ago, obviously, when I was still a kid, um, it was Halloween and um, we, we lost my dog. And <laughs> we went to look for the dog on Halloween and yeah. it started snowing on Halloween. And I was like, that is unbelievable. So I'll, I'll always remember that. So um, anyway, I'm Lauren Cohen. I am a cross-border lawyer and realtor and real estate investment expert. And I help people invest in real estate and get visas uh, through real estate acquisition, including my friend Glenn. Um, and I am not a securities lawyer, but I know enough about securities law to be dangerous. So when Glenn asked me to speak about this, I did some research just to make sure I've done a lot of EB-5. EB-5 is a program where you basically invest in a U.S. project and get a green card through passive investment. It's like an invest. It is an investment in a security, um, but 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 that involves very 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 sophisticated documentation. And what we're dealing with, for the most part, with most of Glenn's tribe, are people that want to raise a little money from their friends and family or want to do joint ventures with multiple people or think that they're going to be syndicators and don't know how to do it and think that because they're in Canada, they're not subject to US securities laws. 
So we're here to kind of dispel some of those myths and go through as much information as possible. Um, and if I'm, if I'm able to help you guys to clear some, uh, some air, that would be great. Now, one thing Glenn said, which is so true, I, I think that so many people do this the wrong way and don't realize how simple and really not expensive or inexpensive it is to do it the right way. And so you start raising money and once you get into the weeds a, a little bit and maybe your project is not, as Glenn said, as successful as you had hoped and somebody gets upset, they're gonna sue. And in the US, you know what that means. So the Securities Act in the US was introduced in 1933, which is probably around the time of the Great Depression. And there was a lot of people trying to raise money through different means. And um, basically it covers everything that is security. Now, what the heck is a security? What do you care what a security is, right? Why is it relevant? Well, people don't understand, most people, that anytime that you exchange money for a, a good or a service, that's a security. Because if you're not exchanging money for money, certainly there's potential of a contract, but it becomes a security because you're investing in something and getting some kind of an interest in that thing. And that interest is a security. Can't, you can't call a duck a duck, but it's gonna still be a duck, okay? So at the end of the day, anytime that you're investing in a project with multiple investors or even with one or two other investors, that there's a potential of it being labeled as a security and therefore being subject to U.S. securities laws. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then, like so, this can be as sorry. simple as doing like a, a single family house that has like three investors, two investors even. You you have to be careful. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And and people aren't careful enough, and they think that if they go to their friends and family, like if somebody raises money from Glenn, right? Glenn's invested in a lot of different projects, so somebody thinks, oh, I know Glenn. He has a big uh, following. Let me just see if he's interested in investing in this project. Well, all of a sudden, unless you're best friends with Glenn or he's your kid or your dad or something like that, it can become a security. It applies to any capital raises for U.S. projects. It's borderless. Violations are stiff and noncompliance, and this is important, can lead to a piercing of the corporate veil. So what the heck does that mean? So people think, Canadians particularly, that by setting up a U.S. entity, you are protected across the board, and you're not. There are certain instances, not only where they'll pierce the corporate veil because you're violating securities laws, but also there's instances of fraud and all kinds of other things where they will pierce the corporate veil and go after you personally. So whatever your assets are, no matter where those assets are in the world, including your assets in Canada or anywhere, they will be subject to this claim, whatever the claim is. And that's important to understand too, because look, at, look you think that maybe you're just risking the property or the, the um, project in question, but you're not. It can go way, way, way beyond that. And there's not a lot of areas of law that have this level of potential impact, but securities law does. It's, it's very big. Any offer or sale of U.S. securities is either must be either registered or attacked or, or exempt. Now, registered means that it goes through a registration. Um, an exempt means like something like a private place memorandum, which is exempt from approval, but it still has to be prepared by securities, doc, securities attorneys so that all of the right disclosures and disclaimers and all that stuff that you need, the terms and conditions basically are in there. Because without those terms and conditions, who's responsible? You. 
and you don't want to be. Okay, it's the last thing that you want. What is an offer? Pretty much anything can be an offer of securities. I see in Glenn's group almost on a daily basis, people saying, I have this project, I have that project, but uh, can I raise money? Can I raise money? And I try to comment, but I can't give legal advice. And by the way, just to clarify, none of this is legal advice, okay? Because I'm just sharing information. We're just giving a general overview so everyone understands. The importance of working with qualified professionals and getting this done the right way. Yes. So, boy, we are finishing each other's sentences, Glenn. That's scary. <laughs> um, when you've known each other as long as Glenn and I, it, it happens. But yeah. the reality is you're just putting yourself at risk for no reason. People want to save the couple of thousand dollars. We can get this all done for you for like maybe $20,000 with a subscription agreement and the proper disclosures and disclaimers and everything like that. And then you can do this freely. You can go to accredited investors and potentially even non-accredited investors in certain circumstances. So why put yourself at risk? It's not worth it. No. Anything, as I said, could be a security, an investment contract can be a security, like a joint venture agreement, a promissory note, even a promissory note can be a security. An investment contract involves an investment of money, potentially as a joint venture in a common enterprise with an expectation of profits from efforts of the promoter or the developer or the founder or the project manager or whatever. So pretty much that leads that to be almost what? anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and let me tell you. Hello, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, I just wanted to let you know that I've created a new coaching program. I believe the new coaching program has way more value than any of the programs that have even existed in the past. What we've done is pre-recorded all the lessons so that you can work through it at your own pace, which is pretty cool. And then we're going to meet up on a regular basis to answer the questions, do deal analysis, and actually spend our time together working on things instead of spending our time learning things. I think this will make a seamless transition to buying in the United States and will help you solve a lot of your problems. If this is of interest to you, go to glensutherland.com coaching. I hope to help you guys invest in the United States and I hope we provide as much value as possible. Back to the podcast. Their arms are far reaching. Okay, they are they are going after you if they can. And there's something called a whistleblower law in the US. Well, what that means is, let's say Glenn sees somebody doing this. And he's like, Oh, they're doing this wrong. And he reports it to the US Securities and Exchange Commission. And there's a, 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 a reward given Glenn can get I think it's up to 30% of the reward, um, just as a quote, unquote, finder's fee for being the whistleblower. So there's an incentive to report. Okay. Yeah. These, how many of you are involved in these? Pretty much everybody. You have an LLC, right? Maybe you have an LP. You have shares of stock. You have, you have passive investments. You are a syndicator or you're investing in a syndication. Well, guess what? Those are securities and they are subject to U.S. securities laws. A syndication, and this is from my favorite Black's Law Dictionary, which is like this thick. I still have my copy from law school, is organizing a group for a common purpose to promote a common interest or to carry out a particular business transaction. That's a joint venture, right? Right there. Pretty much all of these things that we see in the group could potentially be, be fall into this category. A syndication versus a joint venture. So in a 
syndication, I'm sorry, in a joint venture, there's an investment of money in a common enterprise with an expectation of profits, but the investors generate their own profits. So there's no passive investors in a joint venture. You're actively involved in developing the business. When you must comply with securities laws, well, pretty you know much what? all the time. Lauren, I think we almost should go yeah. back a slide. We, uh, we, I think we got to drill that in. Like, um, and as one of the this? things that I added a lot to the most recent parts of my course, even is the yeah, it's the syndication versus the joint venture. Um, you, you, you said it there was it has to be yes. active. A joint venture is supposed right. to be active, right? Um, in a situation, if you're um, if you're becoming if you're a complete passive partner, you know, then it could be like it, it likely is a security that you're selling. You have to be giving right. active roles in a joint venture, right? Everyone has to have roles to do. Um, that your document shouldn't be saying that the one person is, you know, the typical layout that you always hear when you go to the real estate meetups in a joint venture is we have the money partner and we have the working partner. And that actually is not good at all, right? You should be having um, a working partner and a working partner <laughs> or a working partner yes. and jobs Correct. for the, the joint venture. If the other person has no jobs and they're literally just investing money that you're, you're going to get, you could be getting yourself in trouble, right? By, by doing absolutely a hundred percent. So if like, let's say that Glenn and I develop a bit, uh, a project together. Okay, we're, we're working on a flip together. We're doing whatever we're doing on, you know, and we're working together, we're investing together. That's a joint venture. We are actively, let's say Glenn takes the role of hiring the contractors and I take the role of getting the title and all of this, okay? We're both having roles. And in, in an LLC operating agreement, you can define those roles or you can define them in a joint venture agreement. But if Glenn is doing everything and all I'm doing is giving him money, that's that, like you said, that's not a joint venture. The other problem is, and this is something that's really, really important. Okay. People try to work around this by doing loans with a promissory note, but I just said that that could potentially be considered a security as well. Exactly. So if it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck, it's a duck. Okay. Just remember you don't, you, as I always say, can't, as I learned from my first day of law school, you can't do indirectly what you can't do directly. So don't try to work around the system because you think that you can. You can't. And you're gonna get you're gonna get in trouble eventually. You may get away with it initially, but you're gonna get in trouble eventually. Okay. Mm -hmm. And and even these things, raising money from passive investors, selling LLC interest to passive investors, um, repeatedly borrowing private money. I have a client right now, she um bought a property in Orlando. And she doesn't want to close. She wants to sell her interest or get a partner or something like that. But as she's soliciting these potential partners or purchasers, she's actually selling a security. And that could become problematic for her. Now, she's just one person. But at the end of the day, you know, she doesn't listen to me and she does what she wants. But that that is still potentially passive raising passive money or selling your LLC interest, both of which could, could qualify here as a security. So to follow securities laws means that you either register the offering or you choose an exemption or you document your, and document your compliance with all of the elements of this. So compliance and make, making sure that you document the steps toward compliance are essential because if there is a claim, at least you can defend it. Okay, there are many securities exemptions. 
And um, these, this slide I could share with you guys, which is probably useful because if you limit the number of investors or you limit it to accredited qualified investors, there are ways to, to qualify for exemptions, but you aren't the one to decide that. We have to bring on our securities law team to figure out what the exemptions are, how you can make sure that you meet those exemptions and satisfy those exemptions and that you don't end up violating them and you have to disclose all the risks. Those are so, that's so important. Disclosure, disclosure, disclosure. To be an accredited investor, you have to have a million dollars net worth, 200,000 individual income or 300 if it's a couple. Okay, and that's how an investor could potentially qualify as an accredited investor. This table talks about the different securities exemptions. Mainly Lauren, there's sorry to cut you off. On that yeah. last slide, yeah. is that the same yeah. if you're an American as a Canadian? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Now, this does no, I am not talking about Canadian securities laws because that's when you are raising money, even in the US you as a Canadian are still impacted and, and required to comply with Canadian securities laws, which are not federal, they're province by province. So the Ontario Securities Commission has its own rules, for example, as does the Alberta Securities of BC. You know, I mean, I go on, I yeah. do know the province, believe me. So, so um, I try to quiz my kid, he has no idea. He just knows like Ontario and that's it. Which, so, which that's why you was, want to get a good securities lawyer because you so have important. to understand that because if you're going to say set up an entity in Canada that's going to accept the money and the idea is to keep them um, the Canadians from having to pay taxes to the IRS so they're going to do it on the Canadian side um, you're likely going to have to register with both securities commissions right um, it um, I literally just went through these calls and it is uh, much more expensive to do that setup right? So it does change your numbers if you're trying to do it that way, rather than just uh, accepting the money on the American side. But then if you Correct. do it on the American side, the likelihood is that you're, um, you're going to be cutting K-1s for each of the people who invest, and they're going to have to file with the IRS, which, you know, is Correct. not going to be a, it's, it's a small little thing you could cover. If you wanted to, as the, the operator, you could cover the cost for that filings or whatever, um, which won't, won't be much, but it, there's, there's a million different ways to set this up. Well, maybe not a million, but there's a few ways to set this up and um, the costs uh, differ drastically. <laughs> that's, that's my two cents from going through this whole thing. <laughs> that is so, so true. And, um, People do think that if they do it all in Canada, they avoid this, and that's not true. No, because as I mentioned at the very beginning, these are this is borderless, borderless. You can't uh, accomplish your goals of avoiding U.S. securities laws by handling it all in Canada. It just won't work. Now, the, this is securities exemption tables, which I can also share if you guys want. It's just all legal stuff. You know what what has to happen there is no dollar limit on any securities exemption just so you know and the relationships are defined by if you want to go um if you want to pursue an exemption you have to have a pre-existing relationship and a substantive um analysis of the person's uh, uh status as an accredited investor and you may and have to prove that if you get audited you may have to prove that you have a relationship with them Right. That's why people have like document, document, documents, yes. just like really Glenn's favorite thing, documentation. So, not, I, I hate um, it. I do it, but I, hate I know it. that's why I was being <laughs> facetious, but it's essential. And he knows that. And, yeah. you know, he gets it done. 
may not like it, but he knows that it has to get done. And, you know, none of us like it. Even I don't like it. So, um, and I'm a lawyer. Yeah. You know, I like it for my clients, but for myself, I'm the worst. Um, you have to be competent, trustworthy, and likable to be a successful syndicator because you are raising money. And then for non-U.S. investors, and this is important, there's something called Reg S, Regulation S, which is in the securities exemption. It applies to non-U.S. persons not living in the U.S., wiring funds from outside of the U.S. But as I said before, you may well qualify for a Reg S exemption, but how are you going to know that if you don't have the document, the right documents prepared and you aren't consulting with a securities lawyer? Are you going to determine that? Because that's not something I would suggest anybody do on their own. Hmm. This slide is really important for you guys, okay, for Canadians. Securities laws, in your, as I mentioned, in Canada, in each province, FERPTA, we all know about FERPTA, that's the tax withholding that the IRS uh, applies to non-residents, okay, non-citizens, non-residents, corporate structures that minimize double taxation, all of you should be consulting with whether it's me or Ali or both of us and, and our teams to make sure that you're avoiding that double taxation and legal liability in the process and investing strategies that minimize taxes for non-US persons. So these are all things that need to be considered that are not necessarily related to US securities laws, but are related to you raising money in the US or even investing in the US. Right. A securities offering involves all of these things, all of these elements, a PPM or a disclosure document. A PPM is a private place memorandum, an operating or limited partnership agreement, or sometimes both, a subscription agreement, an investment summary, which is a lot of the disclosures, securities yeah. notice, and property information. Now, who thinks, I mean, Glenn, would you want to do all of these things on your own? Because I sure as heck would not. No. Um... No, honestly, I wouldn't want to do it. My like, even just the amount of work involved, it sounds like a lot. But um, right. it's about doing it correctly as well. Um, it's one of those things you just want to make sure you're, you know, this stuff's getting fire filed with like government agencies. Um, you you want to make sure that this is done correctly. Um, I it's, I, it's I wouldn't just, tackle I this. I cannot underscore it yeah. enough. Like, really, and I will be honest with you. Okay, look, I didn't do my own green card. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or my own citizenship. I do it for others, but I didn't do it for myself. And when you're preparing your own documents, it's always best to have a third party be involved, no matter how much of an expert. If I was the best securities attorney in the world, I would still have a third party securities attorney review my documents because you are looking at them with rose colored glasses. Okay. And you have to be objective, not subjective. And you can't when it's your own, even when it's a business thing, it just doesn't happen. So to structure deals with investors, as I mentioned, you can do a joint venture, yep. syndication, and you can earn money with a, in a syndication in various ways, okay? Acquisition, asset management, refinancing, carried interest or cash flow, share of sales proceeds and real estate commissions or property management fees. And all of these things are available to you as a syndicator if you follow the rules. Yeah. So we go back to following the rules, please. <laughs> well, you, you brought up a good thing there too, like with just some of the, uh, the acquisition fees and stuff. And if you're um, on the opposite side and you're wanting to be an investor in this, it is one of the biggest things that will differ from 
operator to operator. Um, some of them will take a huge chunk. Um, it actually is more common in Canada to take a larger piece of the the pie uh, as a percentage of the you know the what the GP gets and what the LP gets. Um, I've seen several syndications set up in Canada where it's a 50-50 split. Um, in the U.S., it's more commonly to be a 70-30 where the investor, the passive investors, the LPs are typically getting like 70% um, and the, the operators will get 30. Um, and even the one we're structuring, what we're doing right now, maybe I shouldn't even say this in case we change something, but right, what we're structuring on ours is 80-20. So we're taking 20%. Mm -hmm. And people are like, oh, you get 20% of everything? Like, well, no, there's a pref share first. So they get paid, the, the, the LPs, they get paid first right? So they're going to get their pref amount, their 8% or whatever it is, uh, depending on the deal. And then the um, afterwards, if there's like a capital event or refinance or sale, that's where it gets sort of split um, with those 80-20s. And it's important because um, you're the one putting the money in if you're the passive investor. And if you're yeah. not getting much out of it, then, you know, you're not getting the proper, you know, from, from operator to operator, it's, you know, you are a big piece of this puzzle to get done, the, the capital. Um, for uh, Lauren, a couple questions. What we we touched on this briefly during the the call. You uh, you said like even in my Facebook group, you see people with posts. Um, we see I, I see posts all the time that I I just shake my head at that are completely uh illegal. Um, should you be posting on on Facebook? No, absolutely a thousand million percent no. It's if you want to speak to individuals that you know and have a relationship with, that's way less problematic. But if you're posting on Facebook, you're opening yourself up to all kinds of liability. Yeah, you should way. not be going, so no. I have a deal. Would you like to invest? No deal. That is that is right. completely against the law, what, what you're trying to do. Um, if you are trying to raise money, the better way to do this, the right way to do this is to post past deals, have conversations, go out for coffee, get to know people, play the game, build a relationship with them, and kind of bunch of these. <laughs> then they know you after a while. You've had several conversations, you've had coffee, you've had a dinner, a meal, you've <clears throat> you've built this relationship <laughs> over time, and that you know, and it's um, not a complete stranger investing in this because right. if they're it's an investor, that's definitely a security. What you're selling. 100%. Even a single family home. That's not legal advice. That's just like clear, like, like clear as day. Okay. You, yeah. You have to really, uh, I, I, I can't just overstate the importance of this because um, securities and franchise law are the two areas where they were pierce the corporate veil and go after you. And securities is much, a much bigger field because the numbers are much greater. And if you are in violation, you can lose a lot more than just whatever the investors invested. And there's, there's fraud charges that you may or may not be subject to, whether you intentionally did it or not. There's so many different ways to get caught up in this mess. And um, it's not that hard to prevent it. So I work with an amazing team of securities attorneys. Most of those slides were prepared in com in consultation or collaboration with them. And um, like I said, I am not a securities expert. Um, but what I am is I'm able to know what needs that attention. 
And you should come to me and ask me, Lauren, what about this? Lauren, what about that? And I'll say, look, let's get our team on a call. And um, it's well worth your investment of, you know, a small nominal fee for a proper consultation. Any securities lawyer that does not charge for a consultation, you should run. Just saying. Okay, because they are billing out at a very high rate and everything that we will share with you is generally going to be flat rate. So even for security stuff, but don't, don't, don't cheap out on this because it, there's too much at risk. Yep. And if you want to do this raising of money, do it right. Just register, right. right? Like just register, hire the attorneys and register. And if you don't want to do this that way, you want to do it the cheap way, then do it with friends and family and relationships and active roles. Right. Um, so you just mentioned that you're not a securities lawyer. Um, no. What are you? What kind, like? Let's talk about what you do. Oh, that fun thing. <laughs> yeah, I am a uh, so I am an immigration lawyer, but it's a little bit different. I help people that are trying to figure out how the heck to invest in real estate and get a visa. That's really my sweet spot, my focus, mainly for Canadians. I figure out how to get them invested, start their investment journey, start making a bit of money, and hopefully eventually obtain an E2 visa or another type of visa, especially if they're from another country. So, but we are complete full service facilitators. So if you want to come to me and say, I have everything in place, I just need my visa, I'm going to bring in my, my legal team to help you with that. But if you come to me and say, I have some real estate, what the heck do I do? That's perfect. I'll figure out with my team exactly how to get you through that finish line of getting that visa in place and um, saying thanks, Lauren. And listen, one thing that's really important is people think that because you get a visa, you have to move to the U.S. Glenn, is that true? No, I am. I might move to the U.S. at some point, but I am. I'm getting my visa, and I uh, right now have no intention of doing it. Sometimes you just want to do it to make your crossing the border easier. Right. Sometimes you just want to do it to like we were talking about with all this to be in compliance. If um, some things I could do if I go to the States could be considered working in the United States and you need to have a visa to be considered working in the United States. Um, and that's the thing like, oh, yeah, you can go invest in the United States. And it's um, not to go down this crazy rabbit hole, but I just had a call with Chris, my Canadian CPA and Ali, my American CPA on uh, Wednesday morning. And we went through this whole thing and um, right now Canada's changing their tax laws and we're restructuring my company just to make sure we're the most tax efficient as possible. But basically the way they're trying to, they, they're splitting this out as active versus passive income. And honestly, you want it to be active income. And, but if you start saying I'm doing active income and you don't have a visa, then there's just, there's a conflict. <laughs> there's a conflict there mm -hmm. because um, the way that Canada they now um, their active income rate um, for running your own business is actually cheaper than the U.S. So depending on your um, like almost every single tax thing is cheaper in the U.S. except for this one thing, which is the active income role on your Canadian corporation in Canada. And like I said, I am not an expert on this. That's why I hire experts on this. I'm regurgitating what I just did on my call yesterday. But um, you want to go down that path because it will save you taxes every year by being able to write off a certain percentage as active uh, parts. And so it involves a lot of extra steps. It involves a lot more documentation of even what you're doing every day. Um, but 
it does make sense. And to comply with all of those things, if you're saying I'm actively working in the United States and that's how I want to pay my taxes, you should be act. You should have a basically a license or a visa to be actively working. Otherwise, it you're just gonna you're gonna comply with somebody and be in discompliance with somebody else. And so you just want everything to be lined up. Anyway, there's there's my rant. That's I'm trying to summarize like a an hour and a half call into two three sentences. But um, basically, it, it makes sense. You grow big enough, it makes sense. Um, you want to live in the U.S., it makes sense. You want to have better taxes, it makes sense. Listen, a lot of people, including Glenn, have been investing for a long time in the U.S. And generally speaking, you're going to be okay. Generally, mm -hmm. but that one time when you're not okay is that time when you need this. And that's the time when you need it in your pocket before it happens. Because if it happens, and we hear about it at least, I get a call at least once a week about somebody that's had this happen. Oh, I've had a business for eight years or six years or whatever. Why is this happening? And the reason is because they have discretion. I was turned away once myself. So I've been through it, okay? And this was before 9-11. And they, they, since passports are required now, and there's so many things that are in, that are... Uh, implicated by your uh, interest in investing in the U.S. And as COVID goes away and as we become more attuned to people crossing borders and doing all of those, um, all of those kind of cross-border activities, it's really important to understand that you need a visa in your pocket, even if you don't plan to live in the U.S. There are huge advantages attached to it. Anyway, Lauren, um, people are interested in visas. How do they how do they reach out to you? How do they find you? The best way is hello at investingacrossborders.net. Hello at investingacrossborders.net. Everything is branded around investing across borders on, you know, um, LinkedIn, on Facebook. I'm, I'm in Glenn's group. I'm very active in there. I try to answer questions and be responsive without giving legal advice. <laughs> um, we are doing a series of um, inf information sessions. I don't know when this is airing, but we're always doing regular events. But just reach out to us. Our toll-free number is 866-724-0085, 866-724-0085. And um, it would be our pleasure to help you and guide you through this quagmire of legal stuff. So thanks, Glenn, as always. And um Hopefully our next one, we're going to celebrate Glenn's, uh, Glenn's visa being granted yeah. in minutes at the consulate soon enough. So, Like always, uh, Lauren, thanks for coming on the show. Tons of value. I'm sure there's most people who listen to this unless they've already done their you know, research on security has learned something here. Um, so I really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you. My pleasure, Glenn. Take care. Talk to you soon. Bye. That was a nice video. Bye.